Now, whether it's the 21st century or it's in the days of Jesus or any other time in history, tombs do a pretty good job of their job. Their job is to keep people, particularly dead people, inside, right? And they do a pretty decent job of doing that. They even do a pretty good job of keeping people out. But they do a good job of keeping people in. So John tells us, though, about an empty tomb last week. Maybe you heard that story or remember it. Now, don't get mad at the tomb. The tomb wasn't defective. The people who put the tomb together, you can't blame them either. Because as it happened to be, the Son of Man, Jesus the Messiah, was put into that tomb, and God had other plans for that tomb, okay? So don't miss the irony then. As you remember that story that John tells us about the empty tomb, the tomb that's supposed to keep somebody in, and even the big stone in front of it keeps people out, that the very next story, you have the disciples huddled in some room together, hiding for, as he says, fear of the Jews. In other words, these people who set out and killed Jesus, probably they're after us now. So we're hiding and we're fearful. And just for good measure, we'll go around and we'll lock all the doors and make sure nobody gets in here. Now, the ironic part is Jesus, who was stuck in the tomb, was able to get out by himself. I'm not quite sure a few locks on the door are going to be able to hold him back. Y'all with me? And so, sure enough, they're in that room, this locked room. Knows what they're talking about. Maybe they're praying. Maybe they're singing to get some encouragement. Maybe they're barking at each other as they're known to do. Maybe they're crying. Who, who knows what they're doing? But in the middle of all that, Jesus shows up. Man, I'm so glad Jesus showed up for them. The disciples needed to see Jesus, they needed to hear Jesus. They needed to know that everything that he said was still true. And by the grace of God, there was no tomb door or any locked door that was going to keep Jesus from seeing those disciples that night. Now, as we read, continue to read about that story that night, Thomas always comes into play. The, second, the Sunday after Easter, we always read about the story of Thomas. And I think it's very appropriate because the problem with Thomas is he wasn't there when it happened. So the disciples had to go get him. And it's always appropriate because if we look around the Sunday after either Easter, there's a lot of people who aren't here like they should be with the other disciples. Y'all with me? So it's almost appropriate in that way. But even more than that, Obviously, I think the point of Thomas's story is this. The disciples went out. They had this experience with Jesus. 
And I'm sure they realized before that that Thomas wasn't there. But then they said, you know what? Thomas has got to find out about this. So they go out and they find Thomas. They tell him what happened. He says, well, unless I can see it for myself, I can't believe. Now, understand, that doesn't make him any different from any of those other disciples. Because Jesus shows up and says, peace be still. And you get the impression that they're still kind of like, yeah, who is this? The ghost of Easter past, right? But until he shows them his hands in his side, then they can be joyous. So doubting Thomas is just like all the other disciples in many ways. But a week later, they're in the same room again, and somehow they've convinced Thomas to be there with them. And Jesus shows up again, and he tells Thomas, check me out. Thomas does. And Thomas believes. And then what does Jesus say to Thomas? Oh, you believe because you see me. I think that's fine. But then he says, blessed are those who believe yet not, have not yet seen. Do you know who he's talking about there? Yeah. Talking about you, Bob. You, Manette. Talking about you, Mickey, David. Talking about us. Because we weren't there in that room. They didn't, the disciples didn't go out and find us and tell us to come back in. We weren't there, but yet Jesus still says, blessed are they. Because they're going to believe through the testimony of those apostles, disciples. Now that's important because, one, it tells us that we're children of God, just as much as they were. But it's also important because it means that the same gifts of Easter the resurrection that the disciples had are the same gifts that we get to have as well. Realize that if Jesus doesn't show up in that room, there's no telling how long those disciples will be stuck in there. There's no telling how long they're going to, oh, what do we do? I don't know. Hey, you go sneak out and get a little food, but hurry up. There's no telling how long they're going to be living in fear. And what we realize that as long as they are in that room, their life is dictated by this fear they have of the other people. Y'all with me? They can't live their lives because of their fear. So, sisters and brothers, the fact that the gifts that they receive from Jesus are the same gifts that we receive, I think, is a blessing because I think we need those gifts, too. We have our own rooms that we lock ourselves in, don't we? Oh, yeah, we do. Some of us, well, we love the room store. We just shop, live at the room store. And these aren't literal places that we go necessarily, but we realize that these are places in our hearts and our soul. Run to when things around us aren't right. And maybe it's fear that we have of something. Fear of what's going to happen next. Fear of somebody else. Fear of the unknown, we say. But it's not always fear. Sometimes anger is a place we go to. We're mad at the world. We're mad at ourselves. We're mad at God. Or, or, or sometimes it's, it's, it's doubt. Doubt of ourselves. Doubt of the world. Doubt that there's any good left in the world. 
Sometimes it's selfishness. We run and we retreat to our selfishness because we feel like, well, nobody else is going to take care of me, so I'll take care of myself. But we all have these rooms we run to. And we can lock up those rooms, throw away the key, and don't let nobody in. Can't we? But, um, see, there was this guy once who was uh, thrown in a tomb. And people thought that was the end of the story. But he had other plans. And there were these disciples. They were so scared of everything that was going on, they locked the doors. And there was a guy who showed up behind the locked doors. See, friends, Jesus showed up for those disciples to give them the gifts of Easter. And in the rooms of our heart, those places that we are running to, running because of fear, of anger, of whatever else, Christ shows up as well. And I think Jesus shows up to give us the same gifts. Now, hopefully you're asking, well, John, what are those gifts? There's three of them, at least, that we see here with John. And the first is what Jesus first told them when he showed up. Peace be with you. Now, on Communion Sundays, I invite you all to stand and to share the peace and love of God. And one of the things we say is peace be with you. And I think we mean it, but I don't think we really understand exactly what we mean because we're like, oh, peace be with you. Who's next? Peace be with you. Yeah. (laughs) See, Jesus came into that room looking at those disciples, probably scared out of their minds, jaw dropped, not knowing what it is they're seeing. And it says, wholeness that only comes from God, this completeness that only comes from God. That's the first thing Jesus offers the disciples on Resurrection Sunday. And boy, you want to ask what can take care of anger? What can take care of fear? What can take care of anxiety? What can take care of our worries? What can take care of our selfishness? The peace of God. Peace of God tells us you don't need to worry because God is in control. The peace of God says you don't need to be angry because I will make all things right. The peace of God says you don't have to think about yourself. I love you and there are plenty of other people that love you too. Stop being so selfish. The peace of God takes care of all those things. Where do you need to have peace right now? Chances are it's in a room somewhere. And that's the first gift that God gives us for Easter. The second gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathes on them. And John says the Holy Spirit is on them. He tells them, receive the Holy Spirit. Because here's how it goes usually. We hear about the peace of God, or we hear about what Jesus has done for us, and we think, you know, okay, I want to live that way. I want to live more faithful. I want to do things for God. I want to live my life for God. But I don't know how. The only life I know how to live is the one I've been living. The only way I know how to treat people is the way I've been treating them. The only way I know how to get ahead in life is the way I've been doing it right now. How in the world do I do anything different? Well, I love our banner. See, if you look at our banner here, that's actually a prayer. 
Come Holy Spirit and do what? Yeah. Teach us, which implies what? We don't know how to do it and we need to learn how. You want to know how to live more peaceful? Come Holy Spirit and teach me. You want to know how to learn how to live, how to be more forgiving? Come Holy Spirit, teach me. You want to know how to be more faithful? Come Holy Spirit, teach us. Why do you think Jesus gave it to those disciples? That's what they needed. They needed the peace of God. And if they were going to continue to do what he wanted them to do, they were going to need the Spirit of God too. And the third gift is one I think we kind of overlook. and We don't really talk about it too much. But, but we should because it's just as much as give, a gift. In fact, it's actually the second gift that Jesus gives before he gives the Holy Spirit. He tells them, just as the Father has sent me, now I what? See, we like to give chocolate bunnies and jelly beans and things like that for Easter's gift. And that's all cute. Bring on the chocolate, please. But look at the gift that God has given the disciples. He's given them peace. He's given them the Holy Spirit. And he's given them God's mission. Just as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. So you think about Jesus being with the Father wherever that is and whatever that looks like. And the Father says, you know what, Jesus? It's time for you to go. And you know what Jesus does? He goes. And Jesus says, the same way the Father sent me, now I send you. You bunch of scared little disciples locked into a room. See, they were going to need the Holy Spirit and the peace of God, weren't they? And if you and I are going to go, we're going to need the peace of God and the Holy Spirit as well. But when God says go, we go. We go. About 12 years ago or so, a question popped into my mind sitting in church one Sunday and listening to the pastor preach. The pastor happened to be my mother-in-law, whatever. And the question was, <laughs> the question was, why aren't you doing that? And my answer was, because I ain't want to deal with all them people. I mean, I love y'all folks now, but I know how these church people can be. I ain't trying to deal with all that. People talk about me and critique me and criticize. You're crazy. I'm not doing that. Some time passes. There I am on Sunday morning again. That question pops up again. Why aren't you doing that? I don't know. You know I think then I was still trying to be a banker. You know, I was going to make it rich, you know, rolling in the dough, doing all this stuff. I thought, well, I'm just kind of busy. I have other things. That's not, that's not me. Time passed, and that question popped up again. Well, why aren't you doing that? This time I answered, well, I don't know, but I really want to be doing it. And so myself and my family and people from the church, we began to pray together, together, and we fasted together until it became very clear to me and to everyone else that that's what I was supposed to be doing. 
And so I answered the call in that small church there in Mercedes, Texas. And um, after a little while, uh, after receiving that call, hearing that call, I heard God say in, in, in a way, it's time for you to go. And so we went to another church in Mercedes and spent time there and worked there doing different things. And after a time being there, God said again, it's time to go. And so we went to Edinburgh and we served the church there and we were part of the church life there, did a bunch of stuff there until God made it clear, it's time for you to go. And we went to the, to the cowboy capital of the world. Do I look like a cowboy? No. But we went because God said go. So when God says go, you go. And then it became evident. God says, now it's time for you to go somewhere else. And we came to this place called Irving. Boy, man, God, cowboy capital of the world, and then you took me to cowboy country? What did I ever do to you? This past week, uh, I received a call from the Victoria District Superintendent, a man by the name of Terrence Hayes, and he told us, it's time to go again. And so we are going to go because when, (laughs) jokingly, I guess, um, but even faithfully, when the bishop says go there, guess what you do? You go there. (laughs) But even more than that, when God says go, we go. We realize that when we go, God doesn't send us anywhere that we won't be prepared to go to because he's already given us peace and the Holy Spirit. It's up to us then to do the going. So in a few short months, we will go to a place called Shiner, Texas to work with the... (laughs) I promise you I will spend my days in church. (laughs) But it's a reminder to me, and I hope to all of us, that no matter where it is God is sending us, God's not probably sending you to go to some church in a city you've never heard of or been to before. It might be that God is telling you, you know what, as you leave this room right now with these other disciples, you go and be the best disciple you can be at home. You go be the best and most faithful husband, a father, a wife. You go be the best co-worker you can be in my name. I've given you peace enough to do it. And I've given you the Holy Spirit to teach you how to do it. So friends, I don't know what wounds you find yourselves locked in right now. What keeps you in there? Fear. But let God show up and let God give you that peace and let God offer to you that spirit so that you can then go. So we need to pray because God has given us everything we need to live a faithful life to God. And yet, quite often, 
we haven't taken those gifts and we haven't been faithful to God. So if you want to be faithful then, I want you to pray with me. Gracious God, thank you so much for your peace. The peace that calmed the storm with Jesus and his disciples. The same peace that can calm us now. Thank you, God, for the gift of your Holy Spirit that moves us, that teaches us, that inspires us, that prods us, that convicts us, that draws us closer and closer to you and shows us how to be more faithful to you. And thank you, God, for the mission that you give us to go, to serve, to love, and to forgive the same way that you did. Help us, God, today and always to be more faithful to you. In Jesus' name.